Shut up and sit down. Welcome to another episode of the Super Movie Studies Podcast. A show about comic book movies approached from every angle and a community of nerds discussing how fiction relates to non-fiction. I'm your comic book cultured host, Michael Maurer, joined by the movie maestro, James Schuyler Houtsma, and the scientific scholar, Ben Anderson. SMSP is your premier movie discussion podcast. Every week, we continue our journey exploring our favorite subject, superhero movies. Every fan sees the movies differently, so we gather some amateur experts to discuss certain aspects of the movie. Whether it's money, comic books, music, that yellow bastard, or science, SMSP talks about it all in this week's episode. I don't know why you died, Goldie. I don't know why, and I don't know how. I never even met you before tonight. But you were a friend and more when I needed one. And when I find out who did it, it won't be quick and quiet like it was with you. It'll be loud and nasty, my kind of kill. And when his eyes go dead, the hell I send him to will seem like heaven after what I've done to him. I love you, Goldie. Sin City. And yes, there will be spoilers. And trigger warnings. Trigger warnings? Yeah, just because it's Sin City. We'll be discussing some topics that some of our listeners might want to have a heads up on. (laughs) So Uh, if you've read Sin City, you know what you're in for. If not, (laughs) violence of every type. (laughs) That's that's your trigger warning. Uh, Yes. Violence, (laughs) sexual violence... Abusive, well, this crap. Uh, first opinions of the movie. Popcorn Ben. Okay, so um, this movie really bored me, but it was a good kind of boredom because I could see like how much potential this movie had, and 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 so they were doing like four. I, I think it would have worked better as a miniseries because it's basically four movies that are kind of in the same setting but not really related directly and i feel like they were trying to go for like the pulp fiction thing where it's it's four different stories but they were in pulp fiction they were all linked based on the perspective of the character and the chronology the chronology of it all and stuff um it also kind of reminded me of cloud atlas because if i remember it correctly and i just watched it two days ago um like the first it starts and ends with the same storyline continued. So it's like Cloud Atlas. Um, only Cloud Atlas had it, these stories linked thematically, and Sin City, or, yeah, they were, like, linked with characters and events and stuff, and Sin City didn't really, and so I kind of was like, uh, this could be a lot better, but mostly it was boring. <laughs> Popcorn Skyler. No, I... Popcorn Michael. Oh, ooh. Sin City. Um, 
to a person who has never read the comic books, this movie might not be for you. Because <laughs> it is so... It has so many moments that are dependent on some context that the film doesn't really deliver. But at the same time, the the books are written in such a noir style and the movie is adapted in that noir style that it's it's a really it's a really fresh film. It's pretty novel. You haven't really seen anything like it before cuz it's it's cartoony and comic-y done as best as it can. Like I remember in 2003 like the Angley Hulk tried to cut the screen to look like comic book panels and stuff like that and it just it did not play off well whereas this one is it's sort of like has that sort of onomatopoeia feel of just like you're moving panel to panel sometimes as the art sort of shifts with the images um and you're oh that's pretty cool as for story, Ben, you're absolutely right. Like this, this doesn't work. We uh, sometimes when it comes to the fact that like all of the stories are so separate. There's a little bit of bleed over in characters, like Marv showing up at the end of the last story, even though he died at the beginning of or at the end of his story, um, or Dwight showing up in the middle of Marv's story for a little bit. But they none of the characters interact with each other. Um, at all, so it's it's kind of like they're all just kind of passers-by in their own story, and they all take place in Sin City, which is kind of sounds like a neat idea. It just didn't didn't flow as well and as as it could have. I think I think we wanted to be to have a little bit more elaborate feel to it, which it didn't really deliver. But um, still, a f- I'd say a fun movie, definitely um, fun to look at all the time. Yeah, that, I think that was one of the where, where Watchmen kind of failed because it tried to stick too closely to the source material. This was made a lot better by having every panel be, oh hey, that's like I called it a panel, but every every shot being like, hey, that's exactly like it is in the comic book, but here it works. I have been known to give movies crap for being fairly style over substance, but Sin City is one of those ones that just sticks to its guns, literally literally and figuratively, and I think comes out better for it. I love anthology movies where it's more a collection of short stories rather than long form. It works, you know, most of the time in horror movies, but this is one of those rare cases where, yeah, it's... Um, some of the stories were better than other ones. I still think the... The Hard Goodbye with uh, Mickey Rourke as Marv is one of the... It's probably the shining uh, example of this movie. Um, And this was also one of the ones that came out before. That whole kind of everything's a CGI backdrop uh, started to be more commonplace. And movies like 300 and Watchmen and The Spirit just kind of drove it into the ground. But I also think I came into this movie... Uh, originally at a good point. I was about 13 when I first saw it, and that's a, that's a good jumping point, I would say. Uh, revisiting it, not as strong as I remember, but still, uh, I had a lot of fun with it. Okay, so let's talk about the money of Sin City. Uh, and I know we're a little out of order, too, when you think about it, right? Because we were going back in time. You could kind of follow our order of our episodes, and we were going to do Sin City 2, 1 and 2 tonight. 
Um, but I think we're just going to push Sin City 2 off into the ether for now. Forever. Uh, <laughs> if you want to know why, go watch Sin City 2. Uh, so, uh, most because I didn't watch it and I don't know anything about it. We had to get this episode recorded. <laughs> Here, here's a little preview. Ava Green is naked for most of the movie, and it's still really fucking boring. <laughs> um, okay, so... Uh, More boring than watching Bruce Willis talk to himself for like half an hour. Oh my gosh, anyway. Absolutely. Yes, definitely. There's a reason Bruce Willis isn't a voice actor. <laughs> um, we've got a production budget of $40 million. Domestic gross? $74.1 million. Ooh, a little bit of money coming back at you. Foreign gross, $84.6 million. <gasps> a little bit more money, so that brings it all up to 158.7. What is that? Almost quadruple production budget? That is dope dealer money. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a wise investment, as they call it. So it definitely warranted enough money for a sequel, just not a sequel... Eight, Not the sequel it got. Ten years later? When did this movie come out? <laughs> this movie came out in April 2005, so a couple months before Star Wars Episode Three, Batman Begins, all that fun junk, after Spider-Man 2, in the realm of superhero movies. So what should have, like, A Dame to Kill For would have done well in 2008. Oh yeah, they were talking about it back then, too. And then they kept talking about it, and they talked about it some more, and then they stopped talking about it, and then they talked about it and made it, and it was shit. <laughs> well, you have to, uh, like, there's the, the rule of sequels is you've got, like, a window, right? You've got about two years, you know, one, if you're really saucy, uh, to, like, five, uh, four, four years max to make saucy. a sequel to your, to your movie. <laughs> Uh, without people really losing a ton of interest. Like, there's a giant drop-off period, I say, after maybe three, four years, where it's like, they're coming out with a sequel to that? Why? Unless your movie was like freaking Avatar, you have to wait a good 20 years to come out with a nostalgia sequel. Or a reboot. Yes. Yeah. We saw exactly what you're talking about this year with um, when Disney released its... Alice in Wonderland sequel, Alice Through the Looking Glass. It had been six years since that movie came out. First movie opened, 100 million plus sequel, just tanked. But it's getting harder to market sequels these days because studios are coming out with sequels people just don't want, like the Huntsman sequel. Even X-Men Apocalypse opened lower than it was expected to. So there's a little bit of sequel fatigue in there all around. Cool. I think your remake is so good, though. But that's that's way past, right? Jungle that, Book that's, came out that's in the 1950s. In like the, the Thirty to forty year, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that that's all part of Disney's remaking its classic animated movies in um, live action form. You know, you had Maleficent, Cinderella remake, and Jungle Book is actually one of the ones that's actually good. So that's why it's so good. I know. Right? <laughs> I want to walk like you. I'm, I'm obsessed with Christopher Walken as a giant orangutan. 
I was you were like struggling to find the words, and I'm like, we know the exact words. <laughs> Idris Elba as a Bengal tiger. Uh, the man couldn't get any sexier, and then he literally became a tiger. <laughs> Smooth. <laughs> Smooth. Smooth. <laughs> oh, we're a little giggly tonight. Um, <laughs> I have no idea why. Uh, let's 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 talk comic book. All right, enough about the 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 sequel talk. But maybe we'll bring it up again when we actually dive into Sin City Two in the future. Uh, if there's enough requests for Sin City Two, a dame to kill for. But let's get some context that is much needed for this movie, and it all sits in the comic books. All right. So the concept of Sin City, it's all actually called Basin City, uh, first appeared in Dark Horse Presents. Fifth anniversary special in 1991, written and drawn by Frank Miller. Developed into its own series, a total of seven collected um, yarns, or well, not yarns, collected editions, and then each story is a yarn. A few of them are longer, and then like the sixth collected edition is just like a bunch of one-shot short yarns. That's what they call them. Um, The film focuses on the first, third, and fourth collected books, or long-form yarns, uh, and a one-shot called The Customer is Always Right from book six, which opened and closed the movie. So we get a Marv story, The Hard Goodbye, at first. Then we get a Dwight story with The Big Fat Kill, uh, and finally, a Hardigan slash Nancy story in That Yellow Bastard. Closing out again with The Customer is Always Right. So, the reason A Yarn 2, A Dame to Kill For, was skipped is because while it was really a, a – it was a Dwight story, again, uh, it involved Marv a bit too much and also involved more characters than the other three they used so it makes it harder to compact time-wise it was a bit longer uh, without the film becoming unbalanced because even though it used only about three stories it's still like each story felt about the same length and very even i didn't feel one was much longer than the other although i was only uh enraptured in the hard goodbye Uh, that's obviously the best one Spoiler alert for A Dame to Kill For. That story in the sequel takes up at least a good hour of the film, so that's very understandable why they didn't go for that here. Yeah, it's yeah, it's much longer um, set up and all that. There's more characters involved. Also, chronology, chronologically, it takes place before The Hard Goodbye. Every time they showed Marv after killing him midway through the movie... Uh, it really, it, they risk confusing the shit out of people. It kind of confused me the first time I watched it because when they come back around to that yellow bastard, Marv is in the bar, and I'm like, hold on, that guy died. He totally ate the electric chair. Uh, oh wait, no, hold on, we're like in the past still somehow. It's um, it's it's that Cloud Atlas thing. <laughs> yeah. Where, where the middle chunk is, takes place chronologically the last, and then it pyramids out. Mm-hmm. Um, also, keep in mind that the scripts of these stories, 
not necessarily the imagery, but the scripts are word for word out of Frank Miller's graphic novels. Almost to an exact T. The lines are the exact same. They just used the comic books as a literal storyboard and jumped from there. And I don't know if it made their life easier, harder, but um, it it translates pretty well considering what they did visually. The key to Frank Miller dialogue is always keep the inner monologue. Yes. Always, always keep it. You have to keep it. Sorry, Dark Knight Returns. Parts one and two, but I, I <laughs> the, maybe you should have released an edition that had the monologue. So let me explain that opening scene, all right? Because this confused the living hell out of me, and it's just it's just a weird opener. If you don't know what the fuck is going on, you can kind of you get the idea that like this dude in a suit comes out, talks to a pretty lady in a dress, kills her, and he was a hitman sent to kill her. But then like. There's no background to that at all throughout the entire film. So Josh Hartnett's character is known as the salesman, and he meets with the babe in the red dress on the balcony. She is the customer. This is from The Customer is Always Right. She actually hired him to kill her. What happened is the customer was having an affair. Uh, The dude she was doing on the side was a member of the mafia which is like the second most powerful organization in Sin City behind the Rorks. She tried to break it off, and he threatened that she would die an excruciatingly painful death and never see it coming. So she hires this hitman to kill her in a more painless fashion. That was that entire opening sequence. That makes more sense now. I thought it was just establishing tone. Yeah, it's basically what it did. There goes Frank Miller with them strong women again. <laughs> Sarcasm. Yeah, well, they're, most of them are prostitutes or lesbians. Uh, when, when this, now, this gets so confusing at the end when they like, oh, we brought that character back at the very end. So when the salesman returns, he's posing as a doctor and offers Becky uh, or Lorelai Gilmore a cigarette knowing her by name he's like it's like tough day becky and he hands her a cigarette implying that he was hired to kill her right so becky probably didn't hire him though um also this is the only scene that is movie original and not based on any issue of sin city because the salesman was totally long dead in the chronology of sin city before becky even shows up And that doesn't matter either because Becky totally snuffed it in that alleyway massacre in The Big Fat Kill. Which that battle plan was borrowed from the Battle of Themyscira or, you know, the other Frank Miller graphic novel 300, which he references in Sin City. (laughs) Um, You said Themyscira? Oh, damn it. Thermopylae. I wrote that wrong. Uh, I've been reading a lot of – no, I wrote it right. I've been reading some Wonder Woman stuff lately. <laughs> I was about to say, I know that name. <laughs> Thank you for the cover. Um, so there are other... D- d- Skylar, do you know what they used in Sin City 2? Besides a Dame to Kill for, obviously. Um, I think for Sim- Sin City 2, 
um, A Dame to Kill For was the big one, and then they used two movie original ones. One was a story about how Nancy took revenge on Rourke with um, Marv's help, and then the other one was uh, Joseph Gordon Joseph Gordon Levin's char- Levitt's character getting in a card match with Rourke. So I think both of those are original to the sto- the movie. Um, but what about what about so who played Dwight in A Dame to Kill for? Did Clive Owen come back? Josh Brolin played Dwight in A Dame to Kill for. I I can't remember. I don't think he got his. You know, they used Clive Owen for his new face, but they did something along those lines. Oh, psh, whatever. Um, okay, that's going to wrap it up for comics. It's a little short and sweeter because, I mean, I'm not going to really talk about history of characters because it's a very literal movie. The only context you need is the customer is always right because those three stories are word-for-word iterations of the yarns in the book. You're just, you're just getting it to see the original feel if you go out and uh, buy those books and read them. The books are better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Don't, don't add me. Well, I think, I think Mickey Rourke did a wonderful job with Marv. The movie um, has its merits. It's just a little boring in a way that the books are not. Yeah, I could have I gone with the hard good vibe maybe being like twice as long and that being the movie. Um, because I just, I, I liked that story so much yeah. and I liked everything they were doing there. And then big fat kill just kind of came off as much of a snore um, until the final scene, which was awesome. And it was kind of confusing at the end too. And then that yellow bastard was really, really drawn out. Um, until that yellow bastard actually showed up, and you're like, man, this is kind of creepy. Nice. Way to go. Yeah, he was nice and menacing. All right, so let's move on to the music section. Oh, wait, that's my section. How about that? Sorry. (laughs) Okay, so uh, music for Sin City has not one, not two, but three composers. Uh, First one is John Debney, who we talked about in our Iron Man 2 episode, having written the score for that, and also writing the music for the recent Jungle Book movie that we fawned over briefly. Uh, second composer is Graham Ravel. I don't know of anything he's doing these days, but he wrote the score for the uh, first Daredevil movie in 2003. And then the third composer is director Robert Rodriguez, who pretty frequently writes the music to his own movies too. So we've got a power trio writing the music for Sin City, of which is basically the definition of grungy, dark, sleazy, exciting, guitar riff, saxophone, squealing goodness. Let's take a listen to the opening track, Sin City, which has... I have to say, one of the strangest fanfares abruptly mixed in with all the uh, down and dirty sounds of the movie.
it's going with that. I really don't. I don't either. That's basically a a once a one-off sound that they used when the uh, the main title came up, and then I don't remember it uh, popping up after that. <laughs> I love the pussy in this movie. The what? I'm I'm, I'm reading like the the YouTube comments on the on the YouTube <laughs> video for the song, and there's one that just says, "I love the pussy in this movie." <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic. Um, Thank you for providing context to that. I, uh, I should not have provided context. Uh, yeah. I should have just been like, what's the next track? <laughs> Is this something to do with pussy? Uh, I, I want to take a, a quick take note. You, you see these videos that use the cover art or the poster of the movie? Yeah. And were they really trying to steer away from the fantasy elements of Sin City? Because of like how tiny Marv is in this poster compared to everyone else, like Benicio del Toro's got like almost a front row seat, and I consider him barely a character. <laughs> and he's in the movie for like what five minutes before getting offed. Yeah, but well, I but, mean, he's talking as a dead person, so that's fine. He that's was true. Involved. But then remember, Mickey Rourke was kind of in the career slums back in 2005, and most people, um, if they saw him in that movie, they'd be like, who the hell is that? And then he'd take the makeup off and he wouldn't look all that different because his face got just <laughs> beat to a pulp. <laughs> He's a sun-dried tomato of a person. All right, what's our next song? <laughs> our next song isn't a uh, piece written for the movie, but it's pretty integral, I'd say, in what people remember about Sin City. It's the track um, Absurd by the music group Fluke. It's used during Nancy's dance scene, during That Yellow Bastard, and it's probably more memorable than about 90% of the score for this film. You know, I always jump on the chance to incorporate more dance tracks into my section. <laughs> uh, Thank you. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Sin City, for providing me this opportunity. Uh, I mean, like, that whole time I'm like, I'm just thinking of how sexy Jessica Alba is when she is acting as a stripper. Uh, good job. <laughs> <laughs> a polite clap to everyone involved. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, the Nancy shows up in, like, every story of uh, every yarn um not everyone but like a lot of them is just like we went to a bar and there's nancy dancing on the stage nobody mess with Na- nancy because she's friends with marv and marv will fucking murder you <laughs> He'll rip you in two. yeah uh 
If Marv comes off as much of a nicer guy in future stories, then the, the hard goodbye makes him look like a crazy like psychopath. Um, but he's really like Dwight's best friend. <laughs> <laughs> there's such there's such buddy buddies in a Dame to Kill for. It's kind of cheeky. Um, when you just see him, like how brutal he is in the hard goodbye, it just seems really it's really a weird dial turn. Um, mm-hmm. But 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 this song. This is definitely uh, that that Sin City stripper song, and, and it 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 uh it arouses emotions. <laughs> uh, it work. sounds like it sounds like fighting two weird ghosts on top of a semi truck with swords. <laughs> it's at the Matrix. No, the Matrix Two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not too far away from that movie, so it's capturing that pre-2005 sound that we all love and don't recognize. Okay. To finish off my segment, I just took the music from the end credits, aptly titled End Credits, which has a much more interesting sound for its score and is actually listenable. song as if uh, Sin City ditched the noir aspect of of whatever tone they're going for and we're like we just want the nitty gritty oh yeah this is this whole movie sound is all about the nitty gritty it's funny I had uh, tweeted to our uh, uh, Twitter page that the soundtrack to Jessica Jones finally came out and that is really noir whereas this is just down home sleaze <laughs> <laughs> and it's also really funny because if you go listen to the soundtrack for uh, Robert Rodriguez's next movie, Planet Terror, for part of uh, Grindhouse, it sounds exactly the same. So he locked down that sleaze sound fast. <laughs> well, um, I'm I'm going as soon as that that guitar riff came up. Did it remind anyone else of another superhero soundtrack song? Uh, well, the bassline reminded me of the Peter Gunn theme. That's true. Are we talking about Ghost Rider or what? I was going to go with... Ghost Rider 2? Jonah Hex. Jonah Hex! I think this sounds a lot like Jonah Hex. Jonah Hex! Jonah Hex! This doesn't sound anything like Ghost Rider 2. How dare you? I'm sorry. Well, it's funny you say that, because Josh Brolin did do the sequel, so... (laughs) Six Degrees of Josh Brolin. (laughs) <laughs> or Six Degrees of Jonah Hex. Jonah Hex. Jonah Hex. Jonah Hex. Cut him down. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, any more music, Skyward? Uh, I'm out of music, but I'm just welling up with Jonah Hexes, so best move <laughs> on to science. <laughs> all right, after he... 
trying to say Jonah Hex and drink beer at the same time. That's how you're supposed to say it, but also have half your beer dribble out the left side of your face. Oh, so you were like the directors and screenwriters of Jonah Hex. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Neville Dita Taylor, we love you so. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, science of Sin City. Bay Sin City. I've got some topics for you, Ben. Yeah. Do you want to tackle them head on? Sure. Let's do them. <laughs> okay. First off, what is the name of uh, uh, Michael Clark Duncan's character? Something like Manitou. Mana, yeah, Manitou. Manitou. Yeah, Manatee. Man- Manatee. All right, Manatee. Barbara Manatee. His name is Barbara Manatee. That is right. <laughs> there um, we go. So... Uh, Barbara Manatee has a <laughs> golden. <laughs> like how casually that came out, or what? Uh... <laughs> Barbara Manatee is a VeggieTales character. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, doesn't matter. It's two characters now. Um, it's it's Manute. Yeah. Uh, well, the. Uh, Manute T, uh, Barbara. So Barbara's <laughs> got a golden eye. Um, he, he has this fake eye. In the book, it explains how he got that fake eye, but not important here. And I, I want to know, because it's always glinting, golden, right? It's to, uh, some sort of wonder. It's to ex- express gleam and it, you know, to create that nice little Citizen Kane pop of color or whatever, or Schindler's List pop of color, sorry. Um, and I'm wondering, we know fake eyes exist. You can get a glass eye, pop that bad boy in, looks like a real eye, just doesn't move that well. Mm-hmm. Um, but can you get, like, custom fake eyes that are just gold to look oh, like a yeah. Bond villain? Well, I think they're, like, porcelain. You want a non-reactive whatever material so that it doesn't mess with your, you know, your skin. Because if you have something that, like... Like, some people have nickel allergies, so you'd never make a fake eye out of nickel mm-hmm. in case you have nickel allergy, and then the inside of your face scratches Ooh. forever. Oh, um, what about gold? Gold is one of the reasons it's so useful is it's non-reactive. It doesn't tarnish. It doesn't really react with anything. So it might be a good material to make a fake eye out of. All right, Barbara. Way to go. Way yeah. to look menacing and healthy. Yeah, and you can you can um, custom colored contacts. I see no reason you can't get a gold contact. You know, oh. porcelain eye, and then just like a little contact lens for that glint. Nice. So golden eyes. Go get them. Yeah, I think that's a Bond movie. Golden eye. Golden eye. Golden eye. Yeah, so... It, Golden night. It's in James Bond, so there you go. Totally like, realistic. <laughs> um, second topic. Yeah. Tar pits. How do they work? How do they work? Well, a tar pit is a geological feature, phenomena. I'm not sure what kind of word you use here. Um, but basically... Uh, something. Um, terrain. Well, terrain. It's an aspect of terrain. It's mm. a geological feature. Okay. Uh, 
where oil, petroleum, whatever, seeps up through the ground, reaches the surface, uh, and then we'd normally just be like, hey, there's oil there, but it's of a certain type of oil and the climate conditions are right that the, how do I explain this? Basically, stuff that isn't oil evaporates away, leaving behind literally just asphalt. Because asphalt is derived from petroleum, and tar pits are where this occurs naturally. Mm, okay. So, La Brea tar pits, the famous ones in California. Yeah, it, it's literally just oil seeps up. Some of it evaporates away, and it leaves behind asphalt. Like molten asphalt. Like, like still soft. Yeah. So you can is, sink into it. It's it's very sticky. <laughs> Uh, but I mean, like the so they had it as this sort of a must-go or mob hotspot for hiding dead bodies. Um, do, can do you, do you naturally sink in tar pits like you sink into quicksand? Uh, I think in both you don't really sink; you just kind of get stuck. Oh, really? Yeah. So, but because uh, what well, the deal would be that the material is less dense than you, but also, like, holding you still? It's, yeah, there's... How do, okay, now how do how does quicksand work? I used to, like, know exactly, like, <laughs> why quicksand was so so tight. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, I don't think you, like, sink down into tar, to tar pits. I think you just get stuck. And, like, they're, they're actually a great place to find fossils. Mm. Um, because, well where tar pits used to be is a good place to find fossils um, because like dinosaurs or mammoths or, you know, early humans or whatever, whatever kind of fossil you want to find, uh, they go to a tar pit, they'd step in it, they'd get stuck, wouldn't be able to get out. And I guess eventually they would sink beneath it or get covered up with, with dirt. Uh, and, and it's an excellent way to preserve fossils just in case I'm an asshole. <laughs> Um, listeners, I know uh, uh, you might not be satisfied with that description of tar pits and quicksand. So if you are a geologist out there, please tweet at us at SuperAmp Studies what you know about tar pits. Help Ben out a bit. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, um, I, like, I was like, ooh, I know how they work. And then you kept asking more in-depth questions, and I was like, "Oh, fuck! I didn't, I didn't read this much. I didn't read this far ahead." Um, it's like asking about chapter three when you've only done one and two this week. Exactly. You know, I did, I did, I did two chapters, which is two more than usual. Mm-hmm. But, but there's, there's like a. Let's talk about that yellow bastard. That yellow bastard. So his skin turned yellow. Like yeah, rich yellow. Yeah, like really bright yellow. And he like says it's like Ned Flanders. Yeah, so actually it, more like Homer Simpson because <laughs> he's bald. Uh, so we got that guy who's yellow, and he says it's yellow because of all this treatment they did on him uh, to try and repair his ripped out dick. Yep. Which is great backstory, great revenge story, I have to say. Some dude rips out your dick, you're going to get back at him tenfold. No. Um, Sh- shot out dick first, and then ripped out. Yeah, it, I mean, anything that involves genital... Well, actually, actually, 
Um, the the first surgery, his genitals were only, you know, had a fire handgun fired into them. It was after his surgery that he got them entirely ripped out. So he was already that yellow bastard before getting them ripped off. Anyway. <laughs> is what I say. Okay. So how does one get yellow skin? Is it related to dick surgery? Well, let me answer that by saying there is a medical condition that um, causes the whites of your eyes and often as well your skin to turn like a bright Homer Simpson yellow. Uh, probably already heard of it. Jaundice. Jaundice? And, uh, jaundice. J-A-U-N-D-I-C. It's usually associated with liver problems. So hepatitis, alcohol abuse are probably the most common um, reasons it'll occur in adults. But general, general liver problems can cause your skin to turn bright yellow. Now, this, this discoloration comes because you're poisoned? Uh, it's because your so your liver its function is to filter out certain substances from your blood mm. and get rid of those safely. Um, but if your liver can't do that, these chemicals will build up. Um, one of them I'm probably butchering the pronunciation here, but it's called bilirubin, and it's it's this yellow orange liquid. Uh, if that builds up in your blood, it can make your your your, your skin looks yellow because your blood turns yellow because there's this substance building up in it because your liver can't get rid of it. Oh, so say they were doing dick surgery and got a little close to the liver side effect. I don't think the liver is very close. I'm not saying the doctors of Sin City are your perfect. Testicles. I'm saying they're pretty freaking incompetent. Um, well, he did get shot several times, so... Yeah, yeah, maybe he got shot in the liver, and it was... More likely, it. he's a sex offender and has hepatitis. Okay, okay, we'll go with that. Yeah, good theory, good theory. Because um, he did have sex with little girls. Uh, like, a, like a yellow bastard. But he's just saying a bunch of side effects. Side effects caused him to lose his hair, I guess, getting shot, or, well you know, getting hepatitis and not being able to treat that well because you've done multiple surgeries, then you get yellow skin forever, I guess. It, it, can, be, it can be caused by certain certain medications. So, like, if you ever take acetaminophen, it says don't take more than X amount in a day or have three or more alcoholic drinks while taking acetaminophen. It's because it can cause problems with your liver. So maybe maybe, you know... Because of his surgery, he's on a certain drug all the time, and that causes liver problems. Yeah. That's my guess. Yeah, this is where we find the nonfiction inside the fiction, because we're fucking nerds. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, feel free to join in anytime, listeners. Uh, talk to us about tar pits. We want to know, because I don't have any idea how tar pits work, and I'm curious, and I don't want to look up on the internet. I'd rather hear it from your voice. Talk about your experiences in becoming a yellow bastard. Uh, no, I don't want to hear about your hepatitis stories. Also, I want to reiterate, in the movie, the dude's literally yellow, and the title of that segment is called That Yellow Bastard. He's not Asian. There's no racism here. 
<laughs> wow. I just want to point that out. Yeah, we. I think that was clear. I think you just, like, bringing it up took it to that place. Did I? Damn it. I'm going yeah. to prevent that. I, 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 I think it didn't even cross anyone's mind until, yeah, because we're assuming not, everyone's seen the film. Not even me, and that's strange for me to say. <laughs> Never mind. He wasn't that yellow pie face to you? Okay. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> You were the one who said it. <laughs> I'm, I'm always the one who says it now, just because it makes me giggle. I I hope it's not offensive. <laughs> I think uh, it is. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> I never know, because cracker isn't offensive to white people, right? But it's still a derogatory term. Derogatory terms don't mean anything to the people who run the world. Okay, fair. Oh, fair. Well, I, I think I think the p word might be sufficiently obscure. That no, like, it's it's really the only reason I don't get hate mail. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's because we're pretty much obscure. Uh, (laughs) Oh yeah. yeah. Um. So let's get on to those drinking game rules. All right. Science is done. We're putting it in the past. Yep. We got drinking game rules for Sin City. This is kind of. I mean, Sin City is a place where you should. Um, sort of drown away your sorrows, or uh, 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 it's a place where you don't drink responsibly. So since you're not there, drink responsibly. Um, we're gonna start with rule number one, and this is the this is this is my favorite. It's most creative. This allows you to have a little fun. Is every time color is used in this film, uh, that yellow bastard's skin, um, the blue eyes, Becky's blue eyes. I can't remember any other distinct examples. The um, red, red, red sky yeah. in the uh, the ending of the big fat kill when the sky just turns red. Red blood all the time. Uh, they had a lot of white blood, and then red blood came up every once in a while. Yeah. Dwight's shoes. Dwight's shoes. Those are most. Oh yeah, right. They were red. Um. So every time you you see color, uh, you have to, unless you're colorblind, but someone should tell you. Um, you have to drink something of that color. So break out your tequila for that yellow bastard, or your UV blue. <laughs> I was I was gonna say kinky blue, but yeah, uh, yeah. Um, or what's a famous red drink? A Manhattan? No, uh, not a red Manhattan. Wine. Red wine. Yeah. Manhattan's are brown. Red uh, wine is kind of purplish, but it'll. It's called it's red, red wine. Drink. Manhattan has a a, 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 a a cherry in it, right? So 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 drink UV cinnamon, <laughs> oh, cherry, fireball, and red's kind Fireball's of also but brown. Do, I know, but do your best. It's the the aesthetic of cinnamon is red, um, because of big red. But anyway, <laughs> red hots, <sighs> chili peppers. Drink 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 to the Wilhelm scream. Yes. Screams yep. plural. I think there's three? Two? Marv throws a guy out of a car, and then it happens. That's the only one I remember distinctly. Where I was like, there it is. It's a Wilhelm screen. Yeah. Uh, take a drink every time uh, during the obligatory Frank Miller cameo. For those of you who missed it, he is the priest that Marv shoots through the uh, confession box. Amen. Uh, drink every time something is done 
that is not directly out of the book. All right. Isn't that just once? It's there's the final scene, of course, and then there's one time where Marv is getting all of his supplies to go hunt down Elijah Wood, and he's listing them off to the hardware guy, and the hardware guy says, "Oh, beefing up the old home security, eh?" As in the book, uh, and Marv says, "You betcha," or something like that. He says, "Sure am." And in the movie, but in the book, he actually says, "How about you mind your own damn business?" That's, <laughs> that's so uh, obscure. Because that's I, not what serial killers say. I just read the book, all right. So I was like, I was like, I was pretty much going word for word here, and then that was different, and I locked onto it. You gotta have someone like there, like with the book the whole time, be like, okay. Um, okay, hold on, pause. In this shot, um, <laughs> no, Marv has his right foot forward, but in the comic book, he clearly is leading with his left. <laughs> oh, fuck you. <laughs> Come on, guys. Uh, drink when a drink is shown on screen. Ooh. I don't know how often that actually happens. I feel like it's a couple times. There's a bars. There's a bar. Hmm. Yeah. Take a celebratory drink to my during my favorite scene of this movie where one of the neo-nazi goons gets an arrow through the chest and just goes hey (laughs) (laughs) y'all seeing this that's what i would say if i got an arrow through my chest i'd be like hey where did that come from? Yeah, he did a really good job um, of that character. As I know there's a reason I got out of bed this morning. I was about to shoot a person. Uh, shotgun something of your choice during any sequence of massive overkill. Yeah. Uh, ben, do you have any more? I, that's all I got. Uh, finish the bottle. When you imagine that the Josies in Sin City is the same place as the Josies in Marvel's Daredevil. Ooh. Whoop, fuck. Fuck. <laughs> I just moved in to my new house, and I don't have a chair yet. Oh, good. So I'm so. sitting on the edge of my bed, you which are... I had to pull away from the wall to get it close enough to my desk. <laughs> and so if I lean too far forward I just slide off and then the bed slides back and it's just no good it's just awesome no good. Sauce. looks like that'll wrap it up today super fans Super Movie Studies is recorded and produced by Triop Cop Productions if you like what you hear uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes and while you're there you can drop a 5 star or 4 star preferably not 3 star but if you have to that's fine Fuck off if you have a two or a one star. I don't know why you're still here at this point if you don't like the show. Um, but give us a rating. Subscribe. It'll be great. Share with all your friends. Much love. Amen. New episodes every Monday. Yes, yes. And we're also pretty awesome on Twitter. You can follow us at Super Letter M Studies. So Super M Studies. Our boy Twitter, Tom manages that most excellently and we have areas of conversation there that you won't find in the episode finally there's triopcop.com you got the backlog of all the episodes you got the schedule 
for the future episodes. You've got show notes, which I will update. You've got drinking game rules. Again, thank Connor Cahill from last week's Flash. Listen to that. Uh, he's to thank for organizing our drinking game rules. Uh, we got scholarly works up there. I'm going to add Shamo's paper to that. Uh, I would love to... Any anything you guys got, please. Did you write an essay in in, in school? Um, did you find a cool article online that you would like to share? Um, please help me out here. Uh, and, and, and donations are always accepted, of course. Um, and if you want to get involved more with the podcast, you can go to supermoviestudies at triopcop.com. That's right. Anything in the subject line, I don't really care. Just uh, you you just want to be on the show. You would like to make some suggestions. You would like to uh 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 do do really anything because you're like man, these guys are fun. I would like to like get involved really because that's what we're all about here is just finding some people who give a lot of a shit about stupid stuff <laughs> like we do, um and just be like that together. <laughs> oh, that was. I've gotten back into blogging, so I've published my Batman v Superman review and will be reviewing all of this summer's biggest comic book movies and uploading them to the site under Shouts My Content, so be merry about that. Yay! I usually don't talk about it because there's nothing there, but now that there's something there, Shouts My Content. Now that I'm unemployed. <laughs> uh, that'll do it today. I'm your host, Michael Maurer. James Skyler Hutzma. Ben Anderson. And I hope you all have a super cityless week. Bye. Bye. Her name was Goldie. Ain't got a hope in hell. Yeah.